Guess what? We've just started our very own Catching Up With Cub community and we want you to be part of it. Head to cub.club forward slash podcast now and join the community. Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching Up With Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I catch up with Cub member Alexander Baumjohan, a professional soccer player or football player whose career spans 18 years. He was the youngest ever player to be signed in Germany to Schalke Soccer Club. He played for many others, including Bayern Munich. His career took him to Brazil. And finally, it took him to Australia, where he played for the Western Sydney Wanderers and the Sydney FC. Alexander shares his incredible career and the stories and lessons that he learnt along the way as he rose to the top at a very young age of the world's largest sport. There were many relatable correlations between what he experienced in business, which we spoke about throughout the podcast. He even shared a very scary story of his time in Brazil when Rogue fans came to threaten players for losing a game. He's experienced it all. But now he's in Australia and his goal is to enter the Australian Football League, not as a player, but to help Australia grow our A-League and to bring the many lessons he's learned in the European and other football leagues to us to help us grow the world's largest sport in our country. He's a super ambitious business guy as well. He's also got a property development company called Apex, which he founded with his partners. Alex is one of the most forward-thinking people I've ever spoken to. And honestly, the conversation could have gone for hours. I had a brilliant time talking to him. I hope you enjoy the show. We have Cubs official football or soccer expert in the house today. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, well, I'm excited to talk to you because obviously it's a very good day. What, what's the date today? It's the first It's the first of December. Australia just had a, a, a huge win over Denmark. Which, what time was it? 3 a.m.? 2, 2 a.m. 2 a.m. this morning. And, and did you see the photos in Melbourne? Yeah, crazy. I didn't expect that. Um, but I said it before, hopefully, um, with this World Cup in Australia being being good and, and performing well, that will give um, football in Australia a boom. And uh, yeah, the scenes were uh, amazing. Yeah, I think it's going to do the same thing. And I want to talk also to you today about your journey in business, because obviously you were a professional athlete turned business person. You could argue being a professional athlete is a business in itself, though. Um, but but it's just a very interesting journey, and, and I want to talk to you about that. Talk to you about the business of of, of football uh, around the world, and of course in Australia, because it would be fantastic. Yeah, I was actually an expert soccer player back in the day. Oh, yeah? Really was. I was I was very very good. But then when I got to high school, everyone was playing rugby, and I wanted to be cool. Yeah. So I pivoted and I played rugby. And I think if soccer was bigger at that time. I would have been like, no, I'm going to stick to soccer. But I didn't. And see, I reckon that happens to a lot of um, uh, uh, young soccer players in Australia. It's, they probably get to school and rugby is what you're supposed to play and then you, you, you pivot. And we probably lose a lot of talent that way. Um, not, that I would, <laughs> not that I would have ended up playing professional football. But, but you get the point. Um, but why don't you share with us a bit because you're obviously from Germany. I, I can't remember – where from? Where are you from? In the Germany? west of Germany. Um, a small town is called Waltrop. It's not far away from Dortmund. Um, so the west of Germany. That's where I grew up. 
And were you always into football or? Yeah, so I was born in 87 and uh, in 1990, Germany won the World Cup in, in Italy. They won the final against Argentina and that that is my first ever memory um, with, with football. And just after that, my mom, she brought me into my into our hometown uh, club and I started to play football from from 1990. From the age of three years old, you yes. started playing? Yes. And you was it something that came to you quickly? You were obsessed? Yeah. Or was it something that you did because your mom wanted you to do it? Nah, in Germany, football is sports number one. I mean, everyone wants to play football. Uh, you just mentioned it in Australia. I think football is still behind AFL, behind rugby and behind cricket. But I hope um, with this World Cup, uh, things will change a little bit. But in Germany, just about football. Every um, kid wants to play football. And um, yeah, I started that early. And since I'm three, uh, I would say I touched the ball at least once per day. And uh, Germany's won, though, the World Cup a couple of times since then, haven't they? Because yeah, I they remember have five. They have five World Cups. Since then? No, no, no. Overall. overall. So they won 90 and then 2014 was the Yeah, because 2014, one. I was in LA watching it at the Mondrian and we were having a ball. And I remember, that. who were they versing in 2014? Um, in the final Argentina, but they beat Brazil 7-1 in the semis. Wow, maybe that maybe that was the one I watched. But but so, so it's, football's huge in Germany. I mean, in Europe, it's, it's, it's the biggest – I mean, it's the world. It's actually the biggest. It's just for some reason Australia and the US seem to have even taken US, a wrong turn somewhere. Even in the US, it's it's coming now. It's um, it's getting more and more popular. Why do you think that is? Why do you think football is the world sport? <laughs> Look, um, I mean, football such a, a great event, right? I mean, it's eleven v eleven, and in in, in Europe, um, people are just growing up uh, w with football. Um, Austra in Australia. Uh, rugby and and um, AFL, I think, are the more most traditional um, sports, and um, it takes a while to to get this um, culture into um, into the people's head. So I think, um, especially here in Australia, um, all the generation now with the kids um, watching Premier League, and I feel that even the four years that I'm here in in Australia now, um, there's a process. You can see that football is getting more and more uh, popular, but it takes time. Um, in America, uh, the MLS, they're doing a great job. They're um, pumping so much money within um, within the, the sport and, and we're just growing so quick. In America, they have the World Cup 2026 that will give them another boom here in Australia. There's the Women uh, World Cup uh, next year. So, um, yeah, football is the world game. I can't um, tell you exactly why, but um, since I'm young, um, I just... Uh, got into football and uh, football everywhere and it's it's um, such an amazing game. But, I mean, it's just an interesting thought because it's like, well, there's so many different possible – like if I was the inventor of sports games, inventor of sports, you know, there's so many different options. you got yeah, – ball sports seems to be like the first thing you would go to because you're like, okay, well, we've got to play something. We need something to play with. So you, you end up with a ball. And then it's kind of like, well, how did they choose to use the feet as opposed to the hands? It's like, well, okay, maybe that makes it more interesting because hands would be too easy. So you're just running around carrying everything and it sounds a bit too easy. So maybe, you know, playing with the feet, it's a bit more skill you have to learn. So that makes it more specialist, makes it harder, which makes it a more entertaining sport. You know, I'm just trying to think like, because it is the world sport. And there's obviously a reason why it's the world. It's the largest sport in the world. It can't just be because it's 
Some people think it's the best sport. Other people think another sport's the best sport. There's got to be something about it that was like it was the natural progression for people that did not have sport to then move in to sport. And then because it was first, it it, it was like Coca-Cola had the first mover advantage. It yeah. moved quickest. And, and you don't need like um, – like I'm just trying to think like basketball. Okay, you need to build the ring and have yeah, a hoop. It's too hard. It's not getting any shit. You need a couple of trees and fucking good to go. Yeah. I mean, in football, you just don't need anyone. I just mentioned it before. Since I'm three years old, um, I had a ball and I could just go out with the ball and just play myself, kick the ball against the wall, um, juggling the ball, try to pass um, with my weak foot and try to get better just by myself. Um, obviously, it's good to have coaches, but um, I think in other sports, you need a a big setup, you have to go somewhere, you need a um, a basket in basketball and whatever, but in football you just need a ball and that's it. I actually think that must be it. I mean, tennis, you know, I need a court. Yeah. Basketball, I need a hoop. What other sports are there? Netball you know, or volleyball, like all these things require more. Football, I just need a ball yeah. and I'm, I'm good to go. Like th that could really be the reason as to why it's, it, it, you know, it, it scaled so quickly. It was the simplicity of of it and and so tell me about your football career because you went pro quite you were one of the youngest yeah. people in the German yeah. league or what, what what was it yeah so I started um when I was three in my um hometown club and then when I turned uh, 12 I joined one of the um leading uh, football academies in the world at Schalke which is one of the biggest clubs in Germany and um, they scouted me and um, I joined the academy and played there for three and a half years and in 2004 I signed um, my first professional contract and I was the youngest player ever um, at the club to to sign this contract. With, Sch with Schalke? Schalke? Yes, with, with Schalke, um, which was a big thing at the time. Um, it's almost uh, 20 years ago, man, crazy how quick um, time uh, passes, but yeah. Um, I was 16 back then, played uh, some years for, for the club, then I moved on, signed for Borussia Mönchengladbach in 2007, played there for three years, then I signed for Bayern Munich, um, which is um, probably one of the biggest clubs in the world, played there, then back to Schalke for another three and a half years, um, Kaiserslautern, Hertha Berlin, so overall um, 13 years in, in German Bundesliga. In 2017, I decided to do something new, and um, signed a contract with a club in Brazil and played there for two um, clubs in, in one year, uh, which was a great experience for me. I mean, my wife is, is Brazilian. I have a very strong relationship to, to the country. I speak Portuguese. I know the mentality and I was always a big fan of Brazilian football. So um, that was a great experience. And 2018, I got an offer from Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, and to be honest, I didn't know much about uh, Australia and uh, Australian football, but um, the project they uh, showed me and, and the coach at the time was German. He knew me from, from Germany, um, made me sign the contract and I came uh, to Australia with not many expectations. And now four and a half, yeah, almost four and a half years later, I'm here and uh, almost getting my PR and thinking about staying in Australia for, for long term. That's incredible. What a big journey. And so you've played with a lot of teams. Yeah. And so you've seen, I mean, you could, you, I mean, all of these teams are extremely high functioning teams because they're all in the top, the creme de la creme of, of as far as it goes as, in terms of soccer teams. 
But what are some of the lessons or the things you've seen that make some teams work better than others? Yeah, on this level, it's little things, especially in Germany. Uh, Bayern Munich is the biggest club in Germany by far. They won 10 and the last 10 um, Bundesliga titles uh, in a row. So um, they just did great business over the last uh, 30 years to get to, to this point. And all the other uh, clubs, they um, are still behind Bayern. In Germany, there's a rule. It's called 50 plus 1 rule. So the clubs can just sell 49% uh, of percent of their shares. It has always has to be 51% um, community owned. So that means it's hard for the clubs um, that didn't make um, great business uh, over the um, last 20, 30 years to, to chase up a club like Bayern Munich. Um, the difference in England is that um, they can sell all the shares. So there's so much money involved in the other yeah. leagues, but in Germany it's um, hard for, for yeah. the other clubs to get and to this uh, point. Saudi Arabian billionaires yeah. can come buy clubs and, and juice them up with a bit of cash, get yeah. the best players on there. And so why does Germany have a, um, the uh, a 50 plus one way? I think it's a tra tradition thing. Um, they, uh, I mean, Germans, they always like to do things right. They don't like to um, take uh, big uh, risks or change a lot of things. So um, they want to um, yeah, keep this rule for as long as they can. But I think in, in the future, if they want to uh, compete with the big leagues like the Premier League or the Spanish League, they have to change that. I don't think that they will change it from... Um, yeah, 50 plus one to um, having the possibility to share uh, to sell all the shares of the whole club, but they have to uh, find a solution that they can compete with the other clubs. And in terms of coaches, so you've worked with a lot of coaches. The coach, would you say the coach is the leader of the team? I would say so. Um, I mean, when you play at Bayern Munich and the squad is full of uh, big stars, you normally just need someone who um, yeah, has a good uh, man management and keeps everyone happy. You don't need um, the highest skilled coach as in other clubs where you don't have that much quality. You need someone who actually can um, change things and put some tactics or game plans in um, where you can uh, beat other teams. That's interesting. So, so you're saying in a club where there's tons of high-level talent, it, you, you may not necessarily need the the coach that's going to implement new strategies and 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 teach new things. You 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 a coach that has more people management, that's right, and, and personality management is 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 best. But with a club with less talent, okay, well we need to make some big changes, yeah. some big play. That's really really interesting because it brings up the question of like how do you manage an, a, a team of A players in business as well? Kind of like well. You know, do we let them do what they do because they're already the best? But do we just manage their, um, make sure they're happy? <laughs> you know, make sure they're good. But I, I'd imagine being in a, a a a team like Bayern Munich that you got a lot of big personalities as well. Everyone's very famous. Yeah. You know, and everyone has a big ego. I mean, yeah, of course, they're um, famous. In, in general, <laughs> rich, famous, yeah, young men. That's right. That's that is, right. you want the number one biggest right, ego in the world. Right. You go be rich, famous, young, and ma yeah. male. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in every business, um, when you're successful, um, people have a huge ego, right? But I've never seen um, a bigger ego than um, in football players. And how did you? Well, I mean, they're like gods to to their followers, though. They really are. Like Cristiano Ronaldo has something like five hundred yeah, million. First, the first uh, 
human ever. It's absurd. Like just, I just read today he is close to sign a contract in Saudi Arabia that gives him 350 million euros for two years. <laughs> Net. That's just so funny. But but um, it's just absurd. And, and, and how did you handle it, though? Because you, I'm sure you got a bit of an ego yourself when you got there. Yes. Um, and you probably had a bit of an ego on the way up. I mean, you're the youngest player at uh, Shaker, I don't Shaker, want to say wrong. Shaker. Um, um, that would have, you know, you, I'm sure your confidence was high. The girls were probably loving you at that point, probably now too still. But, but, but you know what I mean? How did you handle or how did your family help you maintain? Because you're a very um, calm and, and not like humble person. Was that always the case or did you learn that it's best to be that way the hard way? Or how, how did you maintain that? How did you handle the ego? Yeah, I mean, it's not... It's not easy, especially when you are on the top um, in this age, you know, I mean, 16 years uh, when I look, my daughter, she just turned 14. And when I just look back and look at her and like two years after, I was already around grown man um, every day. I think um, this time I learned so much and it's always good to be around experienced uh, people and that helped me a lot, but obviously it was uh, tough, um, tough times. I mean... I did some mistakes. I think everyone does mistakes, but the most important thing is to to learn from that. And during my career, it went a bit like a roller coaster, um, ups and downs all the time. There's not many football players that the career just goes um, up from from the beginning to the end. So I went through injuries, and um, I had coaches that um, yeah didn't. Um, let me play and I was on the bench and out of the team and then others I was playing again. So um, my career is really um, like a roller coaster and you have to be very strong uh, mentally to to go through that and because, um, yeah, as I said before, when you are successful, um, you have so many people around you and everyone wants a piece uh, of the cake and when you are down, it's different. So um, for me, I was um, most of the time very introvert and... I never let a lot of people um, get close to my, yeah, really close um, circle. circle. Yeah, um, just more like my uh, best friends and and my family. And um, I mean, talking about business during my career, I had so many um, opportunities and so many people reached out to me and wanted to do some sort of business with me, ask me to invest. But um, yeah, I think when you are uh, on the highest level and um, successful in in what you do and also, you just said it famous. Um, yeah, there are a lot of people around that just want to take advantage out of that. And you just have to be cautious and pay attention all the time. But I think what you described is just such a mature way of, of, of doing it. And I say mature because at the time you were very young. And having that inner circle and not letting new people in in a meaningful way, particularly when you're successful – probably is the way to go because yeah. the reality is a sports business, you, you're going you're gonna to be down at some point and you're going to be up at some points. It's just that's the way of the world. And imagine if you let all these people in when you're up and then you go down and they all leave, you're going to be depressed like everyone hates me. But if you only have that small inner circle of people that are there for the up or the down, you've got that stability. And that's probably the most important thing someone can have. That's to, that found foundational base that whether they're up, that base is there. Whether they're down, that base is there. It's a constant. Yeah. And I mean, 
18 years ago when I started my career, social media um, wasn't that present like it is now. And I um, said to myself, I mean, even now with social media in the end of my career in the last five, six, seven years, um, whenever you play well and everyone just talks positive about you and everything is good, I mean, you can't take this too serious. And when you play bad or you have a bad game, whatever, and everyone smashes you, you also shouldn't take this so, so that serious. So I think you always have to find um, the balance. Yeah, and that reminds me so much of this quote um, that Jeff Bezos said. I, I, I watched it on YouTube on, I think it's the David Rubenstein show. He interviews uh, Bezos and Bezos says, I always tell my team, if our stock price jumps 20%, don't be excited because it could drop 30% the next day. And if you yeah. feel really smart because it jumped 20%, well, you're going to feel really dumb because it dropped 30%. And so ignore those short-term exactly. spurts. That, that's exactly the same thing. Especially and especially in sports. I mean, um, you in, in Germany, when you play Bundesliga on the weekend, Champions League during the week, so you have a game every three, four days. And after every game, things change. I mean, you have two good games and um, then you miss a penalty in the next game and everyone kills you. So it's football is so quick. One day you're on the top and the next day you're on the bottom. But how do you handle that pressure? How did you handle the pressure? Just need to be mentally strong. And I saw so many players that um, were so talented, but they were not um, strong enough mentally and they didn't make it. So I think everything plays in the head. You can be as talented as you want, but if you're not strong in the head, um, you can't be successful. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such an important point. You can have the skill, but you need the mental strength and stability to accomplish anything. I know I keep relating this to stuff, but even like uh, with boxers or boxing and martial arts, they say there's some assassins that when you're in the 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 gym and it's training and you're sparring, they beat the they beat the best in the world. But when they go fight uh, professionally in front of people and things, that they just can't do it. Yeah. You know, it's you need both the skill and the thing, and, and that's the same with business. You mentioned that um, – and, and sorry, I, I don't want to get off that yet. There's some players that didn't have that, right? They, they weren't strong enough mentally. What did you see happen to them? Most of them, they just didn't make it. Um, in the youth, I saw uh, so many talented uh, players, and in Germany, everyone wants to play football, and – um, you don't get many chances. And if you don't take your chance and grab your chance with both hands, then there's 10,000 uh, yeah. kids uh, behind you and they want to grab the chance. And um, it's just tough. And I saw many players um, that didn't make it because of that and others that were maybe not that skillful and they had the mental strength, they, they made it. And you found once you got to the very top, most people had the mental strength. But even but even there, I saw, you just mentioned, I saw some players that were really unbelievable in training, like every training the best, but whenever they stepped on the pitch and you couldn't see the same performance. Um, that so, would be sad. That'd yeah. be like being Superman, but not being able to fly when yeah, people were that's watching. Right, that's right. But on the other side, I saw other players that they didn't care about training and they were just there and did the minimum they had to do. But whenever the game started, they were there hundred percent and always performed well. How would you, what were you like? I think something in the middle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you were talking about overcoming adversities, one of which being injuries, which is obviously yeah. a huge thing for sports players. You did have quite a serious injury from what I understand, which prevented you from being able to play for the national team yeah. in Germany. Is that correct? Yes. I was once called up for the national team in 2000. 19 um but i had to had to get done my first uh, knee surgery 
was nothing major, um, but it had to get done um, for the um, future for my for the future of my of my career. So yeah, unfortunately, I had to decline this. Um, and invitation. tell me about the emotions that went into declining and into that into that decision. Well, it wasn't a decision; you had to do it. But yeah, for me, there was no other choice. I mean, I was twenty one at the time, and I. Um, imagined or I thought there would be um, other opportunities in the future again. Um, but I had two major injuries after that. So 2013, um, I did my ACL and I came back after six months. I um, went back playing. Everything was fine. But then um, exactly one year after my first ACL uh, in training, I jumped. And when I landed, I hyperextended my knee again and the same. So I literally had two um, ACL injuries in, in one year and I was then out for a whole year. I did my um, uh, surgery in, in America with um, one of the best um, knee surgeons in the world. And um, yeah, that was tough, tough times. for And me. do the clubs help the players do that? You know, when you've got an injury, they're like, okay, you've got to speak to this guy. He's the best in the world at fixing the knee. The clubs orchestrate yeah, the, all the that? clubs are um, quite professional in that, uh, especially in Germany. They look after their players. They uh, have to. They're, they're like, they've got to protect their assets. Right. They've signed big contracts that's with right. them. But yeah. um, in, in Germany, it's a bit different. In Germany, when the player is injured, the club just pays um, the following six weeks. And then after every player has to have his own um, health insurance. So that's something really uncommon um, in the football world everywhere else. And um, also here in Australia, the clubs continue paying during the um, the injury. But in Germany, it's a bit different. But when you are smart, you just um, cover uh, the salary that you don't have any impact on that. And when you moved to Brazil, what was the reason behind that decision? Big, is that where yeah. you met your wife? No, no, I met my wife 2007. So, okay, so that's um, the reason yeah. you made the decision. No, no, we... we um, we are together for 15 years now and just coming back to what we discussed before, I think that also helped me um, to be with my wife already very early. Um, my daughter was born when I was 20, so um, I never really had this um, temptation, like, temptation to go out and, and, and like nightlife and, and stuff like that. I did it a little bit before when I was uh, way younger, but um, yeah, I always wanted to get married uh, early and have this uh, structure within my family because I think that um, gave me um, yeah the best possible uh, way to perform on the pitch. But yeah, going to Brazil, I just wanted to do something new. I was 30 at the time. I wanted to leave Germany after playing uh, 13 years in, in, in the Bundesliga and the opportunity just came up. Uh, I mentioned it before, I was always a big fan of Brazilian football. The league is um, yeah, really good and um, a lot of uh, quality uh, players. So that, that was the reason and it was fun. And what's the Brazilian culture like? I've never been there. Um, a bit um, like Australia, relaxed, very, very relaxed. Um, but in football, a lot of passion. So uh, I mentioned before, in Germany, you have 10,000 um, kids wanting your spot. In Brazil, you probably have 10 million. You know, I mean, it's a country with 260 million people living and everyone dreams to be a football player. Yeah, but it's also a very poor country, That's which right. means that a lot of the kids are looking to that as their way out of poverty. That's right. Which um, is going to drive a huge number of yeah. dedicated young yeah. young kids to playing sports. That's, that's the only way. And I, um, Isn't that incredible to think about? Yeah. All the, these millions and millions yeah. of of 
children that are living in favelas and and, in bad situations and football is their path to the future of their dreams. Imagine how hard these kids work together. Yeah, and they, the parents put pressure on them, the family puts pressure on them. Um, the kids, most of the times, are the only opportunity to get out of that. And in Brazil, um, 95% uh, of the people have 5% of the money and 5% have 95% of the money. So as you just said, there's um, so many people um, that are uh, not... Uh, really wealthy and um, that's a big problem but the football is the only way out and the competition is uh, quite high and the fans are crazy crazy yeah. I've never seen anything like this before I mean the German fans are really good but in Brazil the the fans are crazy I remember when I um, the first club I signed for um, we lost like two or three games and then the like ultras, the hooligans of the um, of the club, they asked the president if they can speak to the players and the president um, did let him get into the dressing room and they just um, spoke in front of us, um, literally threatening us, telling that they know where we live and whatever if we don't win the next game. And, no. yeah, and then we won Then we won the game and they uh, thought that was the right thing what they did. But um, yeah, it's crazy. In Brazil, I have seen some, some crazy stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it worked. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I better win that next game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I have seen some some players really getting tell um, me, tell me. threatened up. Yeah, I mean, we lost games and there were fans waiting in front of their house <gasps> or like when they drove away from the stadium, the fans, like they knew the way they had to go and they were waiting there and threatening them and their families and stuff. It's crazy. In Brazil, it's crazy. Oh, my God. And, and the, what does it, what can the club do about that? Nothing, because the president and the club... Are scared um, too. They, <laughs> no, but they need, they need those um, fans also. And, um, yeah, it's such a crazy uh, situation. How do you think something like that is fixable? How, how, do you, how do you fix that problem? I think in Brazil, the biggest issue is education and... It, it's that's in every part of of uh, of life over there. I mean, um, even now you saw. I don't know if you um, saw a little bit of the elections. Um, they just got a president who was in prison eight years uh, ago uh, mm. because of corruption. He was a president before, and then he got to prison because of corruption. And now they um, elected him again to the president. But just because the um, recent president Bolsonaro. He was doing a lot of like anti-gay things and all yeah. this stuff. He was very right, and the yeah. new ones very left. Yeah, yeah. so and, and that's a very controversial yeah. situation. In and there's no other candidate, so um, it's not that people support the new president it's just because they hate the other one. This is why they yeah. vote for him. There's not uh, there are no other opportunities. But I think in Brazil, uh, you have to um, start on the bottom with the education. You need to change something, but no president wants to put money and, and energy and work into something that you just see re results in and 20 it's long years. Yeah, it's long-term. That's the problem with um, politicians. They're so short-term yeah. that well, nothing really needs to get fixed for them to finish, so it, it, it doesn't matter. But topic for another day. And let's talk about Australia and football. So first of all, did any of that shit happen to you at the Western Sydney War Wanderers? Nah, nah. <laughs> um, after living one year in Brazil and uh, – we always um, travel to Brazil, like at least once per year. And then after living there one year and in Brazil, you 
always have to pay attention. Like wherever you go, like I couldn't go out on the street with my watch, with my phone in the hands. And as a football player, even less. I mean, I needed a bulletproof uh, car uh -huh. and all these things. So I was living there for one year. And when I came to Australia, I remember uh, I arrived in Sydney, I think at three or four a.m. And the first thing I did was just walking out of the hotel and feeling feeling free that I can like walk on the street and it was such an amazing um, feeling and uh, yeah then joining uh, the A-League Western Sydney Wanderers first it's obviously smaller um, the A-League exists just for 15 years now I think um, less fans and um, less pressure less media so you can't compare it at all to Brazil and um, and, and but no one's them. trying to kill you Nah, that's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. About it. That's a good thing about it. <laughs> and and so where do you think Australia's football um, industry or whatever you'd call it, football as a sport in Australia, what stage do you think it has? It, it, it's at in its life cycle and I guess what do you see what do you see happening and in terms of opportunities? Yeah, it's a difficult um, system. The whole youth system in my opinion, it's not there. Yeah, it's not there, and yeah. and it's and it's not ideal. You know, um, in Australia, kids have to, or the parents have to pay a lot of money for for their kids to to play. Um, starting from the young age, uh, parents have to pay thousands of dollar for for their kids, and the kids don't even get um, proper training, like trained by professionals, by good coaches. So you get it, trained by one of the dads. Of yeah, one of that's the other right. Kids. That's right, and the the clubs they. <laughs> take out the money um, from 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 the parents to I don't know throw it into their first team and overpay ex A League players and stuff like that. So it's um, there are a lot of issues, uh, a lot of things to change. But um, yeah, Australian football or people that are in charge, they have to start take advice from from people from overseas. Uh, and I don't feel that they want to admit that, but. Um, I mean, I mentioned before, if you look to America, they did it and they went through a process over the last 15 years and they are really competing now on the world stage, not just with a national team, but also their uh, domestic league, the MLS. Um, a franchise over there 12 years ago was worth maybe $50 million. Now the um, most valuable club is worth $800 million. So like 10 years later. So they That's a did, lot of growth. They, yeah. So they did a lot of good stuff, and well, what I think did they in do, Australia do you think? they also need to change things. Hmm? What, what did the US do uh, that helped bolster that valuation? Well, help bolster the interest. Yeah, obviously, it's a bigger market in America. There's more money involved, but they just asked for help, and they looked to Europe. They got professionals from Europe, from South America, um, within their system, and slowly uh, develop their their football. Um, and I think Australians need to do the same. It's an interesting thing, though, because it almost shows you, um, I don't know how I'm going to describe this, but a country like Brazil, which has how many millions of people? 260. Holy shit, that's a lot of people. Yeah. 260 million people. 259 of them very poor. Yeah. And looking for a way out compared to Australia where you've got 25 or whatever million people. And most of them have a house and a place to live, food, very few uh, uh, without. Of course there are some, but, but very, very few compared to the world stage, which means that options for livelihood 
well, first of all, they're not really in a huge rush to get out of where they are because, okay, even if you're in a bad, like a uh, low ec- low socioeconomic situation, in terms of the way the world goes, you're still killing it. You're still in a safe country uh, with a house um, and, and access to healthcare and all sorts of things. Um, so it's kind of like, well, not only do we lack the population size, we also lack the drive of people to want to, to do it. And then you have another problem, which is um, there's more competition in terms of what I want to do. So, you know, some people might say, oh, I don't want to be a soccer player. I, I, I'm happy to be a school teacher or a whatever. Of course, they're going to make less money, but, but whatever. It's an option for them to, to follow the career. And then we don't have the youth the, that's probably why there's less money into the youth because there's less reason for there to be money. So it's, it's, it, you could argue that it's almost a population and, and financial problem because Australians. Lives are too good. Yeah. Their lives I are always, too good. I, I always yeah. say that. Um, and I, I, um, lived this in football. I saw this with the young players at Western Sydney and with the young players at Sydney FC that, um, they don't have to fight for anything, you know? Um, I think in Australia, when you see someone or someone says he's struggling, you can't compare this to someone in Brazil or whatever. And I get it that um, maybe someone who's struggling here, he puts that like on the same level as someone who's struggling in, in South America or, or in Africa. But um, I think everyone's life in Australia is um, just too good to, to really uh, fight for something. But... Or, 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 or the yeah, the average lifestyle is high enough that it prevents a huge number of people desperate to fight for the same yeah. thing. And but, but that being said, Australians are fantastic sports players. We're athletes. We're at the top. We're always at the Olympics. We're we're full blown assassins. We're we're always in one of the top five. You know. Um, countries that get all the medals and all that type of stuff. We're experts, swimmers. Fuck, we can even run. We're great at rugby. At the, we, we're also athletes. So it's a weird, you know, but that also could be because we're a rich country, that people do have the opportunity to train, have the resources to train and also have access to things to train. So, you know, there could be like a bit of a balance, but that's a very deep conversation. Yeah. What's, what do you think is next for Australian football? What's going to happen in your opinion? I think the World Cup helped. Um, I mean, yesterday we just mentioned it before Australia beat uh, Denmark and uh, they are in the round of uh, 16, the first time ever. Um, Is that the first time I think ever? It's the first time ever. Oh my God, that's yeah. exciting. Um, so it's a big thing for Australian football. And if you look at uh, Melbourne last night and there was like public viewing and like people going crazy everywhere. I think this helps. Um, but on the other side, also my concerns are that now with Australia getting that far, they maybe think that they did a good job um, in the past and don't need to change anything. But there's a lot of things uh, that needs to get uh, changed. The youth development system is one big thing. Then the domestic league is another. Um, so yeah, a lot of uh, things need to get changed and we could sit here probably uh, for five hours and discuss that. that uh, it's just so interesting time. though. It just really is so interesting. It's like, it, it's such, I mean, it would be a fun job to build a sport 
in a country, yeah. you know, to sit there and be like, okay, well, what's going wrong? What's going right? And it's because you're kind of looking at it as a business, but it's not. It's a sport. But is it a business? Or is it multiple businesses? Yeah. All aligned for one thing. You know, it, it's just a really perplexing um, topic that would be really fun. I'd like to do that job. And for me. Yeah, for well, me so what are you going to do now? And, and for me, it's easy um, to see the difference because I um, played for so long in Brazil and uh, in Germany and also in Brazil in like two of the world leading uh, football countries. So um, you've seen it. Yeah, you've I've, seen what I, works. I've seen it. I, I've seen what works. Um, I studied international sports management. I just did my um, certificate in football manage- management at, at the UEFA Academy. I finished um, those two things. I have um, those uh, two degrees now, and I see my future in football. And it would be great um, to give something back that I've seen during my career um, to the Australian um, football world. And is that the plan? That, that's what you – because I know you, you have a, a development company as well. You do a, a lot in property. But is the is the plan to focus on Australian football and to bring your experiences and knowledge to the domestic league? Is that is that what you're envisioning for the future? Or Yes. Um, a friend of mine uh, who um, is quite successful with his business, he has um, more than 10 restaurants in, in, in Sydney and – um, is also a property developer. He asked me uh, last year at this time um, if I would be interested to come on board as a shareholder to buy an early club and overlook the whole uh, football department. Um, so over the last, like from November last year to uh, April, May, I really went into that. I um, looked um, into the club in all the different um um, things that are uh, yeah important um, at the football clubs here in Australia, and it was so interesting for me to see how everything works. Unfortunately, um, the price that we offered, um, the current o- owner um, didn't uh, accept because he wanted ridiculous money for a club that's just uh, losing money every year. But that's another um, discussion. But for me, this time was so helpful, and I realized in this process that. That's what I want to um, do in the future. And for me, the obvious thing would be to start in um, in Australia in some sort of sporting director role um, at a club or at the league or wherever. And um, then obviously I'm um, that ambitious uh, to say that I want to um, be back on, no, not on the owner club, but back um, on, on, on the highest level and back in one of the um, best leagues in the world. So this is uh, Europe. Uh, and, and go back and work yeah. in one yeah. of the top yeah. clubs. That would be absolutely awesome. Yeah. And uh, just tell me, what was it like when you stopped playing? Because that's a big shock to the system. Yes. But I always say to everyone um, coming to Australia and having played three years here after having played on the highest level, this that's the best transition into retirement. Because in Germany, you are always in the spotlight. Wherever you go, you get... Um, confrontated with football, people know you everywhere and you just don't have uh, peace. So you can you live know? a normal life. Yeah, <laughs> no, but but then for for some players that always have this, I think it can get hard if from the other day, from one day to the other, it's not there anymore. Um, when you're successful and you are uh, in the spotlight and you're on TV every weekend, you have a lot of friends, like a lot of, a lot of people are around you and if this is not there anymore, some people don't see any interest in, in you anymore and um, there's there's less people around you and some players or ex-players, they probably didn't um, save enough money that they can um, 
yeah, continue the same lifestyle they lived during their, their career so they can really fall into a hole. And for me, the most important thing from the beginning of my career was that I just want to live a lifestyle that I know with whatever happen happens in the in the future, I can just continue. And obviously after time making more money, your lifestyle uh, grows, but I o o always wanted to keep this- uh, Be conservative. Uh, yeah, and, and for me coming to Australia, having played here, having peace and people uh, not um, not many people recognizing me on, on the streets and stuff. I think that was the best transition into retirement. So for me, it was really easy uh, last year to decide that my active career is over. Uh, but I was also always uh, very busy and open-minded. And from day one, um, since I left Sydney FC, I was doing other stuff. So I didn't really have much time to sit home and be sad that my career is over. Um, so I think I did the right decision. And um, again, I'm out now for almost one and a half years and there was not one moment where I uh, thought, yeah, I would love to be uh, back on the pitch now. You're smart, you're smart. You're, you're just an impressive young person. Just the way you were looking at things, even while you were going through them as a very young person, was just so forward thinking. You know, because it's a big ask what they ask these sports players. They're like, hey, be 21 and we'll give you millions of dollars. Don't blow it all. And people think yeah. um, and, and people think it's uh, so much money that you can't uh, no, no. even uh, throw away, right? But yeah. you can throw well, it I assure you, you can throw it. There's always ways. Yeah, that's what uh, – it's a funny thing because uh, someone that has $100 thinks someone that has $1,000 is rich. Someone that has $1,000 yeah, – I, I, I was the same. It never I, ends. When I was young and I thought once I have 100000 I mean, I'm safe yeah. for the rest of my life and once I have a million, I'd never – ever need to um, work again. Everyone's saying, we've got 100 million. You know what? Yeah. I could use a billion because the yacht I want is about 70 million, which only leaves me 30. So now I need to – I'm a billion now. The boats get bigger. The entourage gets bigger. I need full-time security. I, yeah, I've been divorced. They took half my shit. Then I've got – you know, taxes took the other half. and I'm left with nothing now. They, but they, that's what you need. Imagine at one point you wouldn't have this motivation anymore. I mean, what would you do? Exactly. So you need, you, you yeah. need this to – just um, get motivated. I actually, on a Joe Rogan podcast, listened to a biologist, a biologist or like a brain expert, I can't remember, but they were talking about the human need to never be satisfied and why that's important. And and we evolved to do that because if we were ever content, we would stop. And if we stopped, we would be killed or taken over. or So we're always designed to keep trying to get better, keep getting more, keep trying to be better. We're basically designed to evolve, to, to, to push forwards, and, and that's what's made us survive and that's what's pushed society forwards. Yeah, and I, and I, I lived that, you know. I mean, when I um, retired from active football last year, I could easily just, um, if the weather would have been better in Sydney in the last one and a half years, I could just sit on the beach every a day and relax and not doing anything. But I felt from day one, um, there's things that I want to do. And if I look at my future and um, what I want to do in the future with being a sporting director, I mean, and that's not for the money. I don't do this for the money. I just see that there's a need uh, for that, especially here in Australia. And um, I'm just like burning to, to start and, and help. You know, not for the money, but just to do something oh, like and it. have this competition. And um, yeah, but you like it. That's what yeah. you like to do. You're passionate about yeah. it, and it's what you know as well. 
You're an awesome, awesome person. Thank you so much for coming on today. Normally we actually finish with like a greatest lesson, which I'd be really curious what yours is. I actually think I can guess it, but but what would be your greatest lesson so far throughout your career? Or it could even be throughout life, to be honest. There are a lot of um, lessons that I that I learned, but probably the one that, um, I mean, during a, a career, not just uh, in sports, but in or in every life, in, in every business, there will be moments that uh, you are down. But the most important thing is always to um, stand up again and um, like no career or no business um, goes well from the start to, to, to the end. So never um, get frustrated and always think positive because um, there will always be obstacles uh, in, in, in your way. And um, yeah, I learned this that every obstacle that gets in my way and I can throw it uh, to the side um, even makes me more um, confident and, and stronger. I think that is one of the most fundamental lessons towards success. The fact that every, every adversity is an opportunity to grow. And we say that all the time. I actually say that all the time on podcasts. I fully agree. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. And and to our listeners, if you want to get in contact with Alex, uh, 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 find favorite books or much more information, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find it all there along with all of our other incredible guests of the show. If you want to catch up with Cub on social, it's at Club United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome there. Check it out. Alex, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show. Boy, tell me his last name. Baum Johan. Baum Johan. Baum Johan. Baum Johan. Baum Johan. Baum. Baum. Johan. Okay. And today I catch up with cub member Alexander Boyuman. <laughs>